All right, everybody. Hello. Let's get started. Boo-hoo. Guess what? It, well, that's the good news. It's Tuesday, but boo-hoo. There's just one more lesson left after this. I don't know what happened to this year. It seemed like we just flew right through Romans, didn't it? So uh, we're on Lesson 35 tonight. We have Lesson 36 uh, next week. And then after that, of course, you know what that is, right? The next thing is our end of the year party. Woo woo! So check out this food truck. And the reason you're seeing this food truck is because Terry's son-in-law, Brian, is the owner of this food truck called Locally Sauced. Have any of you seen the food truck Locally Sauced around town? Sauced, like barbecue sauce? Locally Sauced, you know? It is the best barbecue I have ever had in my life. I consider myself a bit of a connoisseur on beer and barbecue, right? And this is the best. I've never had better pulled pork in my life than the pulled pork that Brian made. I am not joking. And the reason we had the food truck is that Terry, like, pressured this mother-in-law pressure. And he's going to smoke up some pork butts for us for our potluck, right? How good news is that, right? I know. So if you ever see this food truck locally sauced around town, make sure you stop. What is the name of that sandwich with the brisket and the pork and the, something like a heart attack? The smash burger, which is a heart attack waiting to happen. Their smash burger is just the best, man. Oh, my gosh. Locally sauced. So anyway, Tuesday, May 30th is our potluck. We'll, uh, we'll get together at 6 o'clock to eat. We'll have some fun and games after that. Um, so there's a thing that's getting passed around, a pass. Uh, uh, Becky and Terry have done some really good work for us to sign up for what you're going to bring so we have the right amount of stuff. And so if you haven't seen that yet, make sure you sign up if you're coming to that. Uh, also, I've been asked, those of you who are online, we'd love for you to come in person and join us for that. And so if you are going to come in, per in person, uh, would you let me know, uh, just send me an email that you're going to be here so we can get our numbers straight as well, get the right amount of drinks and everything together. So uh, let us know if uh, you're planning on joining us for the potluck. All right, so then is what? The sign-up sheet, is it getting passed around? Yeah, it's moving. Oh, online people, you're told to bring food, so... We're going to be eating till midnight. That's not a bad thing. Yes. Yeah, from California. We want the Kellys to show up. No. It's a non-alcoholic party. Of course, I know nothing. If the punch looks kind of funny, I know nothing. All right, then the next thing we need to do before we get started is I uh, want you all to have a chance to vote for our Bible study for next year. I've been talking to you about the Gospel of John, which is a one-year, 36-week study. Uh, it will be very much the same structure of Romans that we're doing now because it's something I'll be writing, uh, putting together this summer. So um, if you like that idea, a one-year study of the amazing Gospel of John, check that box. The other option is this thing called Crossways. And I'm going to see if I can show this to you. I gave a sample 
of what Crossways looks like, but I'm not sure we're going to get it on the screen because my computer needs to be in display mode. What if I close my computer? Aha. All right. So if I open, it goes away. So now I want to get to the page I want so you can see what I mean. What you're going to get to see here is a sample of a crossways lesson. All right, so this is like a lesson eight of the 60 units of crossways would look something like this. So you see there, we're talking about the different kind of treaties uh, that are in the Bible, uh, the covenants that people would write. And there's a group of people called the Hittites who were around at the same time as the Israelites. And the Hittites had a, a certain kind of covenant or a treaty that they used to make an agreement with one another. And the fascinating thing about this is when God made the covenant with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, he modeled the covenant after the Hittite treaty form. So you can look at a Hittite treaty and the six parts of a Hittite treaty, and you'll see that when God made the covenant at Mount Sinai with his people, he uses those same six sort of covenant forms to make his, to cut his covenant with his people. So the point is that we're going to learn in this lesson is that God uses the things that people know and understand in order to make a covenant or agreement with them. He doesn't just invent something out of thin air that they've never seen before or that was unfamiliar to them, but he uses a covenant system that they were all familiar with in order to make a special covenant with uh, with. Uh, his people, the children of Israel. So you see what you would get. This is your study guide. This, I mean, this is your student book that you would get. And so you would work through these uh, questions and these pictures on your own. And then I will just quickly zip to another option here for you. Maybe. I will show you what your student guide looks like. Maybe. Or maybe not. This is by a guy named Harry Went. Dr. Harry Went. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to show you the workbook. But anyway, there's a workbook then that you would have as you read through that material that you do the homework for ahead of time, reading through the scriptures, looking at the pictures and the, the illustrations and the um, diagrams of that. And then when we get together in class, we actually work through your workbook together. So all the homework that you did, we run through that together and uh, we see what you had. I share with what, what I, I think Harry Went wants us to have, right? And so along the way, you're kind of getting this doubling up. You're doing the work. We're talking about the work. The pictures are starting to collect, connect and make sense. So that's kind of the, that's so you know what the uh, crossways thing looks like. I want you to know I'm happy to do either one of them. I love both crossways or John. So it's up to you just to kind of vote and we'll see where it all goes. Online people, did you see I gave you um, my email address right here? So you can feel free to vote for one of those as well, online folks, uh, one of those three options. And also if you're coming in the potluck, online people on that same email, that's how you can let me know that you're coming and make sure that you bring food or Becky's gonna chase you down. If you voted in here, 
if you voted in the room, you don't get to vote online. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. you, you're sitting too close to John. That's what's going on over here. He's he's starting to rub off on you. Uh-huh. All right, so take a look and uh, yes. Yes, there's all kinds of ballots up here. So before you leave, just grab one. No, one vote. Just one. We're going to have to do a whole nother study on, on lying or something. Maybe we should do a study on the Ten Commandments, people. What do you think? Not a bad idea. We could use the review. No, you do not have to sign it. And please don't put any $5 bills with it. It will not change my mind in any, any way, shape, or form. Right? <laughs> All right. Let's pray, everybody. We need prayer, I can tell. It's getting squirrely in here. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for this night. And thank you so much for this year we've had. Um, I just love being together with these people, Lord. And I just love uh, growing in your word. I love sharing life together. And it's just... Um, who knew that studying the Bible could be so much fun? And so I thank you for that, Lord. And who knew that we could learn so much? Uh, so many folks have told me I'm learning stuff I never knew I didn't know. And that's what the Bible does. The Bible is a living word. It's not dead and stagnant, but it's always alive and it's always new and it's always current and it's always meaningful. And so God, how blessed we are to have your word and to hear you speak to us tonight through the Apostle Paul uh, as we're getting toward the end of the book of Romans. So tonight, Lord, we're going to get to see uh, Paul's conclusion, his postscript to the book of Romans. And in this time, we're going to see his heart, what really matters to him. We're going to learn about uh, what ministry, how it happens, how it works, and how we can have a ministry just like St. Paul. So open our eyes, our hearts, our minds to see the instructions there that help us do all we can, like Paul did, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with our world. So thanks, God. Bless us as we study, learn, and grow together tonight again in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Same time, 7 till 8.15, Tuesday, on the, I think on your ballot, it says it starts on the 5th, September 5th will be the first Tuesday night. All right, so you might remember this is kind of a, we've seen this over and over again through the year, haven't we? The structure of the outline of Romans. Uh, notice we've already been, we've already talked about what he, we learned together about sin. Uh, we're all sinners. Remember St. Paul said, that we've all sinned. There's not one of us who has not. Uh, we talked about what did God do about it? Did he turn his back on us? Did he just ignore us and forget about us? No way, not our God. Uh, he sent his son Jesus to be our redeemer, to take upon himself our cross, our, our sins, so that we might have salvation. And we talked about the salvation. Uh, St. Paul talked about the salvation and how it comes to us by grace, through faith, not by our works, but God's gift to us of salvation. Then after we learned about how we're saved from our sins and all that God has done for us, then we talked about the section on sanctification, which is what does this mean? Now that I'm saved, why did God save me? What did God save me for? Uh, if you were in our voters meeting last night, Tim did a really awesome job saying that we're blessed, right? Celebrate and rejoice. God blesses us. But why? 
we're blessed to be a blessing. And that's what this whole section of chapter 6 was about. Now that God saved us, what for? What are we to do about that? How are we to live our lives? Um, what does that look like? We spent some time then talking about the sovereignty of God, uh, just that God is in control. All things work to good for those that love and trust God. God has a plan. We've talked about how we trust that plan and move through life. We talked about then how that shows itself in service, how we accept one another, how we serve one another, how we actively lift and support one another, because what God uh, wants for the church is unity. Remember this? That we are all one in spirit because disunity and disharmony is poison to the body of Christ. Remember that? So we talked about the importance of serving in one another. So now, guess where we are? You know, Romans doesn't end at 15, 13. Right? You haven't seen this yet. But now comes conclusion. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. In the conclusion of this beautiful book, Paul does something just, I, just so touching. He shares his heart with us. Tonight, we're going to see how he shares his heart about why he does what he does. Why does he do ministry? What is it all about? What is it that drives him? And what, he, what is it he is so passionate about? He will share with us ministry and his sort of uh, his philosophy of strategy for how to do ministry. So he lays that out for us. And then next week, man, the last chapter of Romans... Paul just talks about all the people that have been so connected and important to him in his life and his ministry, you know, and he, he talks about this beautiful connection that he had with people and how they encouraged one another and supported one another. And we'll learn how we can learn to do the same with one another in the body of Christ. Just a real beautiful, touching end of the book. And, and this is St. Paul. On one side, he can be the most uh, 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 bold and aggressive and in-your-face confrontational apostle. If you mess with the gospel of Christ, you're going to see some teeth in St. Paul, aren't you? He could also be this great scholar that is just a genius about how he explains these things like redemption and sanctification and the sovereignty of God. No one does it better than St. Paul. But he's going to also, we're going to see the dude's got a heart. You know, he loves. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and he loves being loved. That's also what we're going to see here in his postscript in his final two chapters. So I think it's going to be a nice kind of way to close as we look at Paul's P.S., his postscript in his letter. He's completed his doctrinal thesis. <laughs> That's what I call Romans. Now he closes with these personal comments where he shares his heart and then share some secrets of effective ministry. Now, the danger tonight, as we're talking about St. Paul's secrets to having an effective ministry, is you might just think, well, this is like for church people. That this is for the leaders of the church. They should all read Romans chapter 15, right? How to have an effective ministry. This is about how to do church God's way, which it is. But it's not just for the church, because do you remember what the church is? What do I always say? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people, right? The church is the people. It's you and me. So when St. Paul is talking about how to have an effective ministry, it's not just church stuff. It's you stuff. Because we're going to see here in just a second 
that St. Paul says, you are a minister. That's what he calls you, a minister, which means you have a ministry. Did you know you have a ministry? You do. Every single one of you has a ministry. So as we run through these words, as he shares his uh, secrets for an effective ministry, yes, it's about the church. Uh, I take these words to heart. I, I pray every day that we run faith church just like St. Paul lays it out for us. But it's not just the church. It's you. It's your ministry. And I pray that you will see yourself in this and also have that same prayer. God, may my ministry use the same tools, run the same way that St. Paul lays out for us tonight. Right? So when all is said and done tonight, it's my prayer that you will be jazzed, jacked, juiced, and empowered to go out and do your ministry better than you've ever done it before. Think we can do it? I know we can, because it's not me, it's God's Word, right? The Holy Spirit's at work here. So, two key words. You're writing this down on your study guide. <clears throat> the two key words, <coughs> excuse me, that St. Paul is going to talk about here in this section, first of all, comes from this verse 16. He said, I've written you boldly on some points because of the grace given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God. This word minister is going to come up again and again in our word today. It's a key word. Now, what does it mean to be a minister? Right? You know, a minister is not a pastor. A minister is not a director of Christian education. A minister is not a director of discipleship, right? Or a director of family ministry. Uh, a minister is any of those things. You know what I'm saying? A minister is someone who plays with the gospel. That's what I always like to say. Somebody who plays with the good news. And what I mean by plays with it is that they use it in their lives. That the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is somehow in their vocation. It's evidenced in how they live, speak, and act. That's what a ministry is. Everybody's got one. We're all ministers because we're all playing with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives. In our, we use it in our lives and in our world. The second word he's going to talk about a lot is service, right? Um, for example, therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. We're going to learn that ministers are servants. We're going to see this crystal clear that an effective ministry is never based on a personality or a person or a human idea or strategy. Uh, we're going to learn that a minister's work is always based in service, in loving one another, in serving one another, in caring for one another. We're going to see these are the two words that are at the root of an effective ministry. Paul's P.S. in his letter. So again, if you're following on your sheets, a summary of Paul's twofold ministry. His ministry, he tells us, can be divided into two parts. First, he had a ministry to unbelievers. Here's what he said. He said, I've written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace of God give, given me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, 
sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he's pretty clear there, isn't he? That an important part of his ministry is to these Gentiles, right? That's just the word for a non-Jewish person who doesn't know the Old Testament, doesn't know about the coming Messiah, doesn't know a lot about Jesus coming into the world. He feels that one of his calling as a minister is to reach out to these Gentiles so that they might become, isn't this a neat, a neat kind of uh, phrase, an offering acceptable to God? You know, uh, that um, this idea of the offering in those days, the burnt offerings were made and the smoke of the burnt offering would rise up and often in the Psalms you will hear them pray that the, the smoke or the scent of an offering would be pleasing to God's nostrils. Right? That's right there in the Bible. You know? So this beautiful scent of an offering, it rises up to God and it's pleasing to Him. And now he says that he wants the Gentiles to be that kind of offering to God, that the scent of their belief and their faith would be a pleasing and beautiful and acceptable thing to God. That's beautiful. Right? So certainly that. What's Paul's purpose here in his ministry to unbelievers? What did he say? To share and proclaim the good news. If you ask Paul what it's all about, right? When we're preaching, uh, when we're trying to have someone else know the, what the Christian faith is all about, an unbeliever, what would he say is most important? We, we see it here, right? The good news. And what's the good news? That everybody joins together in contemporary and only contemporary worship. Is that the good news? You know, that's not it, right? Uh, what is the good news? What is the essential thing that St. Paul proclaims? The good news. In another place, he says, we preach Christ crucified, right? Another place, he says, of most importance is that what we preach is of most importance that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and three days again rose from the dead, rose from the grave. This is the good news. The good news of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection three days later on Easter. You know, we say this is the most important event in all of human history, right? The, 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 the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in human history. In fact, our calendar is divided in half based on what? On the birth of Jesus Christ, right? His, his entry into our world separates the calendar into A.D. and B.C. and A.D. Did you know every time you tell someone how old you are, you tell someone the year you were born, you know what you're really saying? I was born in 1963. That's 1,963 years after Jesus was born. That's what you're saying. That's what that means. That because his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection is the central event of all human history. Nothing else compares. Doesn't it? Nothing else compares. So St. Paul says, this is my purpose in speaking to the Gentiles. Not that they get circumcised, not that they don't eat meat, not that they don't practice anything, work on the Sabbath day. That's not what he's preaching to these folks, is he? He's preaching to the Gentiles, Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins and rising for everlasting life. Is that great news? Good news. He preaches the good news. So I say this a lot. 
Why did God leave you here on earth after you become a Christian? Right after you move, yeah, what, what, you got it. Quit reading that. <laughs> Always messing up. So he could have, wouldn't it make sense if God's plan was to get all of us to heaven? There, you know, and that's what it says in the book, that God's desire is that all of us will be saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So would it make sense the moment that we are saved, whether that's through baptism or through adult belief or whatever, that he just whoop, whips us up to heaven really quick so there's no chance of losing it? Right? Wouldn't that make sense? But he doesn't. He leaves us here in this world. The answer, the question is why? There is a reason. So that you and I can share the good news. Bring hope to the hopeless. Bring the gospel to those who don't know it. The good news of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. If, if anyone ever asks you, what's your purpose? You know, usually what we do is we talk about our job. We talk about our family. Uh, we talk about our great basketball prowess. Some of us anyway, back in the day. But really, what would St. Paul say your purpose is? Your number one overarching purpose to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? So part of his ministry is this ministry to unbelievers to bring the gospel to those who don't know. And that's still ours today, isn't it? All right. Remember we said his ministry is divided into two parts? The second part of his ministry is ministry to believers. He said it this way. Now, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. Saints means what? They're believers. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul says another important part of his ministry is not just bringing the gospel to the unbelievers, but it's also caring for the believers. Because what did we learn in our Romans class? That God has knit us together in the body of Christ that we might be one. That we might love one another, serve one another, meet each other's needs and care for one another. So he does this too. He takes a collection for the poor in Jerusalem. Those saints, the believers in Jerusalem. So what's Paul's purpose in this part of his ministry? To meet their needs. To meet the needs of the believers. They already know Jesus, so you don't have to tell them that. But now that they know Jesus, do we just wash our hands and walk away? No, we still have a we have responsibility to one another to encourage and lift up and strengthen each other, meet each other's needs. So all true believers care about their brother and sister's needs. In fact, I think the more you grow in Christ, the more you care about other people. Pastor Aaron and I have this little joke that we have amongst one another. We went to a pastor's conference once. And we were just talking about, you know, our ministries. And literally, one of the pastors around the table said this. And it's one of Aaron and I's favorite jokes. We still joke about it all the time. He said, in all seriousness, he said, I love ministry. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> so Aaron and I are like, what? How? How is that possible? So we'll have this joke every once in a while, like, you know, you know, we'll be, someone will be struggling with somebody or some difficulties or challenge, and we'll just say to each other, I love ministry. It's people I can't stand. It's just our little inside joke. Well, it's not so inside anymore because you all know. But you see, the point is, 
You can't do ministry and not want to serve people. You can't do ministry and not love God's people because that's what ministry is. And the more you love the Lord, the more you'll love what the Lord loves most, which is you and me. Do you get this? It's this beautiful loop of we love God, God loves us, we love each other, we all love God. Happy, 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 kumbaya. That's the way it's supposed to work. Right? That's This is this thing. My ministry to believers, says St. Paul, it's not just about sharing the gospel. It's also about caring and loving each other. That's good news. Because sometimes I think we guilt ourselves. You know, we say, oh man, we shouldn't, in the church, we shouldn't spend so much time caring for ourselves. We should be out in the streets. Well, you know what? We should be doing both. And they can get out of balance. And often the church does get out of balance, you know. But the point is, both are good. Both are called. Paul had two important parts of his ministry. To unbelievers, to preach the gospel, the good news. And to believers, to care for them, to love them, and to meet their needs. All make sense? So, Paul's ministry strategy. So, he's got the ministry to the Gentiles and to the believers. So, what is the strategy? How does that work itself out? Now, this is the part where I need for you to remember, this isn't just church talk. This is me talk. This is ministry talk. This is how my ministry is going to work out. So, he's going to say this. Uh, he's going to talk about, first of all, his message. Paul's message is to, he said in 1516, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. So on your sheet, right, uh, Paul's message, verse 16 that you just saw there, what's his message? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about the method of ministry, or excuse me, the, the uh, strategy to do ministry. Well, what's your message? It's the good news. It's the gospel. And that's where we need to start, isn't it? If you're going to be a minister and you're going to, you know, share the good news, you better know what the good news is. Right? It makes no sense not to know what the good news is because then you can't really share it. So it starts with this. You need to know the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and you got to feel it. I've said this, and I will say this to my dying day. My favorite preachers are the ones who have gone through it in life. You know, those who have had some junk, those who have made some mistakes, those who realize that they don't deserve a lick from God, that they don't deserve an iota of attention or love or grace, and yet God fully gave them that grace, and then, on top of that, gave them the privilege of preaching that grace to others. Those are the pastors, preachers I, I love. It's the ones that are so, like, perfectly pristine and have all their doctrine and ducks in a row. Hey, that doesn't work for me, you know? And so I think this is what St. Paul is saying. Your message must not just know the gospel. You need to feel the gospel. It needs to come from your heart. You know, the good news that you're saved. You know, you who didn't deserve it are saved. And once you realize that, then you can help someone else realize it the same. Make sense? The method, uh, the message is the good news of the gospel. What's his motive? He said this in verse 16. Uh, therefore, or verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. What's his motivation for everything that he does? 
because he wants to grow the biggest darn church in all of Mediterranean. No. What's his motivation? Read it. To bring glory to Christ Jesus. And isn't that just our motivation as well? I don't know. Sometimes I just get so, so touched by God's love and grace for me that if he told me to jump off a bridge, I would do it to give him glory. Whatever he said to do, I would do it. Because all I want is for him to know how incredibly grateful I am for what he has done for me. All I want for him to know is that uh, uh, I am privileged to be his son and for him to call me his child. Just to have him say to me, good job, Dan. There's nothing I want to hear in the world more than that. That's, see, that's St. Paul. All I want to do, he said, is give glory to Jesus in my service. I don't do it for me. I don't do it for the church. I don't do it for riches. I don't do it for fame or popularity. I do it for one reason and one reason only, that Jesus Christ gets all the glory. Amen? This is, oh my gosh. To me, this is why I love worship. Because in worship, we give the glory to God. It's just a time to praise his socks off. Just to be grateful for God and who he is. All right, so his message is the gospel. His motive, all I want to do is give you glory, Jesus. And what's the miracles? Right? You can tell I'm on my M's here. The miracles, he said in verse 19, but he does these things by the power and signs and miracles. But here's the important part through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, it's easy. It would have been very easy for St. Paul to take credit for the miracles, to bring the glory to himself, right? You know, but he doesn't. He knows where the miracle power comes from. It's not him. It's from the Holy Spirit who's working in and through him, you know? Again, I'll say this. I've said it before. There's a book, if you haven't read it yet, called Paul. John, did you read that book, right? You're halfway through. Yeah, it's called Paul, and it's just like a retelling of the of the chronology of St. Paul through all of his epistles in the book of Acts. Sort of tells the story where he was and what he did, and it fills in the blanks with some stuff to make it a good story. But anyway, if you read this book, you'll see that over and over again, uh, people are trying to set Paul up on this pedestal. You know, they're trying to make him sort of who they look to. And over and over again, Paul is going, no, this is not about me. The things that I say and the miracles that I'm able to do do not come from me. It's God. The Holy Spirit is working through me. Right. So he's super clear that everything we do in our ministry strategy must be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Nothing else. Only the Holy Spirit. All right? That's the miracles. I think there's a couple more M's. His ministry area. Right? Is that the next page? His ministry area, he says in verse 15, So from Jerusalem all the way around to, I have no idea how to pronounce this word, Illyricum. Illyricum. Hmm, that could be. Illyricum. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Well, I don't know how to pronounce it, but I know where it is, right? So from Jerusalem, Illyricum is way down near Greece, around the other side of the Mediterranean. So what he's saying is, 
His ministry area is the whole area of the Mediterranean. Okay? So what do I take from this? We're talking about his ministry strategy, right? Part of his strategy is he knows where he's called and he knows where he's not called. This is really important for us. In our ministry, we need to figure out this thing too. Because God didn't call us to minister to the world. God called us to minister to the place where he has planted us. Does that make sense? Right? And sometimes we, we think it's our job to save everybody. You're not called to save everybody. You're not called to preach to everybody. You're called to preach to the per people in your ministry area. And, and that's going to be different for each and every one of us. Right? So it's important he knows where he is called and where he's not called. That's an important part of your strategy. Where are you going to invest yourselves? Where are you going to invest your time and your resources and your prayers? Figure that out and then pour yourself into it just like St. Paul did. So his ministry area is the Mediterranean. And finally, what is his method? He said this in verse 20. It has always been my ambition. In other words, this is my goal. This is my method. To preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul's method was, again, to know who needed to be saved and who didn't. To understand that his job was not to convert Christians who already know Jesus, but to talk about Jesus to the folks who don't. Excuse me, is there a method there for us in the church? I hate it when Christians argue with each other about stuff. It just drives me nuts, right? It's, there's a time and a place for that where we discuss our differences in our doctrine. But it's certainly not in the public square. It's certainly not on social media. This is the worst place that I can think of that you would have a theological argument with someone on social media where everybody can see two Christians squabbling and fighting with one another over whether or not we are pre or post or pre-trib millennialists. Like the world is going, what? Who cares? Do you know what I'm saying? His method is to go where people don't know Jesus. And that's where he spends his time sharing the gospel, the good news. Again, important for us, you know, that we don't get bogged down on the things we shouldn't get bogged down on. So his method is to go and plant new churches. Boy, he was the genius at that. He laid out the method, the instructions for how that works. You know, he would go on these, we call them missionary journeys, right? He would take these missionary journeys and he would stop at a city. And these cities were always strategically chosen, uh, led by the Holy Spirit. He would stop at a city and what would he do? The first thing he would do, he would go to the, to the synagogue, to the believers, and he would tell, well, they weren't exactly believers, to the Old Testament believers. And he would tell them about Jesus Christ. He would preach Christ crucified. And he would stay there until they kicked him out. <laughs> and then where would he go? Then he would go to the unbelievers. And then he would, he, would, he would share the gospel. And people would come to believe in droves. And they were baptized. And then he would appoint some to be leaders. And they would start a home church. And that home church would start another home church, and they would find some more leaders. And then once there were a couple home churches going that had leaders, and they were reading and studying and praying and learning the word, then Paul would vamoose and go to another city. Just like leave them. Because they had what they needed, Jesus. 
And they knew he knew if they knew Jesus that everything else would work itself out. Right? He planted new churches. He was the master of, of doing this sort of thing. So his method was to preach the gospel where we were not building on someone else's foundation. Faith Lutheran Church, Appleton, Wisconsin. Everybody in the city is a believer, right? So we should go somewhere else. No, not sure, right? We have a mission field. Where is our mission field? Yeah, it's not just overseas. You know, for the longest time, people thought mission work was overseas. Do you know there are churches overseas that are sending missionaries to America? I'm not making that up. That's a fact, right? They're sending missionaries to America. You're like, what? What have we done? Yeah, that's, this is the point. Our mission field is right in our neighborhood. I'm willing to bet that in your block, there are several families that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The block where you live, within a stone's throw from your driveway, there are probably people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Your whole neighborhood. <laughs> so who's going to tell them? Are we going to wait for a church in Ethiopia to send a missionary to your neighbor? Or do you think maybe God's got a plan to send you to someone who doesn't know Jesus? Do you think maybe? I think maybe. That's part of Paul's missionary strategy. Yes, sir. Mark, are you doing microphone tonight? Yes, you are. He put on his shorts and his jogging shirts. It's John. I, uh, I don't know how many times I read this, but I was thinking that the, the message is so appropriate to today. It's alive. Isn't it? Isn't it? And then I was thinking, well, Paul is speaking through Pastor Dan, who's the leader of this church, to give us the knowledge. That, and, and Pastor Dan's not telling us to go to China, Africa. He's saying, go next door. That's what I'm saying. For Which sure. is the same thing. That's what he's saying. That is what he's saying. Yeah. So it was really, I mean, it really touched me because I like to think of, Paul, going through you to come to us. So you can go to go someone next door. else. Knock on the door. I just got goosebumps. Because that's the plan. That's Paul's missionary strategy. That's what we're talking about. Isn't it beautiful? This is how he's chosen to end the book of Romans. Of all the different ways he could choose to end Romans, he ends it by encouraging us to see, now that we've received this gift of faith, what are we going to do with it? We can go. We just applied for a, a mission grant by our North Wisconsin district of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod that is going to enable us to offer people in our church a neighborhood money grant so that they can have um, a neighborhood gathering and buy some food like a potluck. See, I wonder who came up with this great idea, right? So if you want, if we get this grant, which I'm hoping we will like we'll be able to say any of you who wants to have a neighborhood party and hand out some brochures and pamphlets and talk about faith lutheran church and what it means to you to have a church home where you get to know and love jesus and do great things in the kingdom if you want to share that with your neighbors we'll pay for the food we'll, we'll pay for you to call up locally sauced 
right? And that truck can come to your house and you'll be able to just load out the pulled pork and barbecue for your neighbors and talk about Jesus, right? See, this is what we think here at Faith is the next way we're going to make an impact in our neighbor and our community. That mission work today doesn't work if you go ringing doorbells of strangers. What are they going to do when you, when you, when you ring their doorbell? Probably they're looking at their ring and going, I don't know that person, so I'm not going to answer. It just doesn't work anymore, does it? So how are we going to reach? Put an advertisement in the newspaper. That's what we used to do. Well, that's done. Nobody reads the newspaper anymore, right? Put something on social media. Well, welcome to the thousand other things. How are we going to reach people in the Fox Valley today? It's you. When you're going to the place where God's planted you and sharing the gospel, that's what's going to make a difference. So pray for this grant. Wouldn't that be cool if we get that? Right? And start thinking already about locally sauced coming to your house. All right. So you see the missionary strategy? I don't think I'm making this up. It's right there in the Word. All right. So now let's talk about how we can have this effective ministry. We know the strategy. Now let's talk about what St. Paul teaches us about this. Now here's St. Paul's word to you. I think he had you in mind when he said this. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now, see, here's, the, here's why I love this verse. Who is he writing this to? He's, well, yes, okay, us, but at the moment, he's writing a letter to the Romans, the church in Rome. And I'm pretty sure that if you would say to these folks in Rome that they were full of goodness, they were complete in knowledge, and they were competent to instruct one another, they would say, who are you talking about? I don't know enough. I'm not competent. Who am I to share the gospel good news with another person? But listen to St. Paul. He's saying, you are. You are full of goodness. You are competent, and you are able to instruct one another. Every believer is a minister. And we're going to see why in a second. You're not a pastor, DCE, or anyone like that. You're a minister, which means that you are full of goodness. It means that you are complete in knowledge. It means that you are competent to instruct one another. So there can be no excuses here, people. I've heard all the excuses. I've heard you all say before, someone else could do this way better than I could. I really don't know the Bible good enough to be able to do something like that. I really don't think I'm the one that should go and do this. I've heard it. I've used it myself many times. No excuses here. St. Paul says, you're full of goodness. Why are you full of goodness? Because you're just dang it such a good person. Right? Is that why? Why are you full of goodness? Because you're full of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's why you're full of goodness, because the Holy Spirit lives in you. Does he? Of course he does. That means you're full of goodness. Why are you complete in knowledge? Why? Because you have the Word of God. Everything you would ever need, every answer to any question that anybody would ever ask you is there. You are competent in knowledge when you 
learn and study the scriptures, and you are competent to instruct one another. That means you're able to teach and encourage one another. How can you have this effective ministry then? So knowing these three things. First of all, an effective ministry is based on grace. You can write that in number one on your sheet. That's where we are in effective ministry. This section now, an effective ministry is based on grace. Friends, that's the foundation, isn't it? Right? That's the fun. Is it? Are you surprised at all that St. Paul says the beginning of ministry starts in grace? Hello? That's St. Paul, right? He says, I have written to you quite boldly in some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister. Why did St. Paul say he's able to be a ministry? Because of grace. Now, what does that mean? St. Paul knew better than anybody that he did not deserve to be a minister right? I mean, if ministry was dependent on your behavior, if ministry was dependent on what you've done or didn't do in the past, would anybody be qualified to be a minister? Certainly not St. Paul. And yet, who called him to be a minister? Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. I'm sure you've heard me say before, when St. Paul is on the road to Damascus to go and persecute some more Christians, to go and stone and kill some more believers after he had just stoned and killed Stephen as he's on the road on his horse to Damascus who shows up and knocks him off his high horse? Jesus himself. And when he's laying there on the ground looking up at the risen, powerful Jesus in all of his glory, his resurrected glory, as he's looking up at the face of Christ Jesus, what do you think he was going to get? Right? He has struck dead, turned into a toad. I mean, who knows what he expected, but it wasn't good. But what does he hear instead? What does he receive instead? Forgiveness, love, and grace. Did he deserve it? Did he earn it? Was he better than anybody else? It's grace. So our effectiveness in ministry has to start with this beautiful understanding that we don't deserve to play with the gospel. We don't deserve to be able to share the gospel with anyone. We certainly don't deserve it ourselves. But in spite of that, we have been richly given it, freely given it in Christ. So we might as well, uh, we might as well just use it. We might as well just avail ourselves of it because it's all based on grace. Does that make sense, everybody? Right? So please don't say, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. Someone else could do it better. No. No one can do it better than you. Because no one lives where you live. No one has your neighbor except you. Do you see what I'm saying? No one has the trust and relationship that you have. You are called, and by grace, to be a minister. Nobody else. Dennis? Pastor Dan, you mentioned and said here, and Paul says it, that they're, they've got the knowledge. They didn't have the 66 books of the Bible. They, didn't, they had the Old Testament and the words of Paul. But we've got the whole thing. Yeah, we do. We've got the whole thing. We, we know the story. We're so much we know the story from the, from the beginning to, you know, so... I don't know what causes us to say we don't know. 
one and day again, he didn't have anything other than the, his and remember word. for him when he says that you have all the knowledge you need what does he mean he means you know jesus he didn't care about the other 66 books what he meant was you have everything you need because you know jesus and that's all you need that's the message so i just focus on the focus not the details marty i think um we're afraid to do that because we're not good enough to do that and at one point i was serving in a, a, a homeless place and they wouldn't let me pray and i was completely deflate, deflated because it's like i wanted i wanted to get somebody to come to church and they said i couldn't do that after the meal this guy came up to me and said will you tell me about what this praying is and after a while he came to our church no and kidding. he became a member yes see stop being afraid people please don't be afraid it's a you can't lose you know all you need to do is love jesus and let him do his stuff you know just don't be afraid you are competent you are able you have everything you need you know jesus you love jesus then you have everything you need oh but what if they ask me a question i can't answer so what yeah just trust the 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 what matters is jesus that's what you got that's what you can give everything else will sort itself out jesus first details later bringing the church and they can answer yeah okay that works too but first you got to know jesus right so i love it based on grace that's where it starts all ministry is built on grace so therefore ministry is received not achieved that's a dan life message for me right your ministry is not something you achieve but it's something you receive god gives this to you so again it just removes our fears it removes our worries that I have to perform in order to be effective. You don't. So you didn't choose to be called into ministry. God chose you. See this where this is going? It's based on grace. So excuses? Nope. God uses imperfect people. The Bible is full, literally full, of times where God chooses like the least likely the smallest, the weakest, the most unexpected person. And of all the people that God could choose, that's the one he chooses to do his work. Do you know why I think he did that? So that you and I would say, if that guy can do it, <laughs> then I can do it. You know, one of my favorite stories, the story of, of when uh, when Solomon, or Samuel is sent to, to choose the new king to find the new king and he comes up to jesse who jesse parades out he's looking for a king jesse parades out his seven sons samuel counts them up one two three four five six seven says nope not a one of those is the one whom god has called and he says do you have any other sons and you know you're thinking probably not because seven is the perfect biblical number but in what is it? no i really don't he's he's are you sure and he goes, well, I got this scroungy little shepherd kid out in the back that's tending sheep right now. His name is David, but 
you certainly aren't interested in him. He smells. He talks to sheep. You know, <laughs> he sings and he plays a harp. Yeah, I'm sure that's not the guy you want. And so what is, what is, who does God choose? David. So guess what? If you smell a little, if you talk to sheep or cats or other things, if uh, you're a little weird, if people say that you're not good enough or you're not able, just read the Bible and see who God loves to choose and see what God does through these people, right? Effective ministry is based on understanding of grace, that it's not about me, it's not what I do, it's what God does when he chooses me and uses me to do great things. And if any of you have any cool stories about that, like this, a story in a homeless shelter, right, you ought to share those with us, you know, because we need to hear how God uses regular, ordinary people in ways we could never expect to do extraordinary, amazing things. He is at work. Don't you dare be discouraged, everybody. All right, second, how can we have an effective ministry? It's based on, the, on, the, on grace, but it's built on the Word of God, right? It's based on grace, but it's built on the Word of God. St. Paul said, God gave me the grace to be a minister of Christ Jesus to Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news that's found in the Word of God. Right? So the Word is the foundation of everything that we build our ministry on. So listen, ministry is not built on a personality. It's not on a message. It's not on a building. It's not on a popularity contest. It's not on flashy advertising. Ministry is built on the Word of God, the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God that has been given to us and passed down through generations that we might have it still right? So again, here I am. It's not about you, people. Your ministry is not about you. <laughs> it's about God working through you. And you're standing not on your ingenious ideas, not on your good looks, not thankfully, not on your hard work, but you're standing on the Word of God. Here's why I love being Lutheran, right? This is what I love most about being a Lutheran Christian, that my tribe stands on the Word of God, that we believe that everything we teach can be traced directly to the Word of God, not to the traditions of men, not to a council or a pope or to any other kind of vision, but only the Word of God. What did Luther say when they asked him to burn his stuff? He said, if you can convince me that anything I have written is wrong, I will be the first person to toss my works into the fire, right? If you can convince me based on Scripture, he said, I'll be the first to toss my books into the fire. But, his famous leg, here I stand, I can do no other. What was he standing on? The Word of God. This is our foundation, friends. Our ministry is built on the Word of God. I'm loving this line. I've been using it so much lately. People will argue me about something in the Bible that they don't like, that they don't think is right, that it doesn't, doesn't go with the modern philosophy of the day. And they'll argue with me and I'll go, listen, you don't take it out on me, right? I didn't write the word. 
If you don't like it, take it up with him. It's his word. I don't have to be ashamed to stand for the word of God. You know, I can stand and just say, if you don't like it, it's not my fault. It's God's word, not mine. God's word. And so here we stand. Our ministry is built on the word of God. Don't you love that? The pressure that takes off of us. Do you know what I'm saying? We don't have to make the rules. We don't have to figure out what's right or wrong, what's morally acceptable or not. We don't have to because it's already been given to us. All the pressure is off. You know, we just have to follow what it says. So it's the word of God that builds people up. That's the point. Effective ministry based on the gospel, built on the word of God, and operated for God's glory. Why do we do what we do? You heard this already. St. Paul said, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. Everything St. Paul does in his ministry is to give God the glory. To give God the glory. Everything he says, everything he does, to give God the glory. It's the foundation of this effective ministry. No ministry is built to last, is built on a personality. You know, you all know these great churches that their great leader leaves and the church falls apart. It's happening right now to Saddleback Church in California. It's a wonderful, amazing, Bible-based church. And Rick Warren, this great pastor, this great leader, this super personality, right? Strong personality, he's retired, and their church is just floundering right now. Because too much of their identity was wrapped up in a person, not Jesus. See, so this is this reminder here that everything we do must always be based on Christ Jesus, not a personality, not a preacher, not a teacher, not a leader, but on Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Some people actually think St. Paul had an ego problem because he often said, follow my example. He says this over and over again in the New Testament, follow my example. And so some people will go, that's that's pretty uh, egotistical, isn't it? Right? But, you know, St. Paul, what did he mean? St. Paul knew that his example, his following Jesus Christ, was based on the grace of God, built on the word of God, in order to give God all of the glory. So he says, follow this example. It's not me. Right? This is just the, the, the example that this is what God has done in me, and he can do in you as well. Not an ego at all. Uh, so I want to just ask, what's biblical humility? Right? Being honest about your weaknesses and recognizing that your strengths are gifts of God. That's biblical humility. Biblical humility doesn't mean, oh, I'm garbage, I'm no good, I can't do anything right. That's not biblical humility. Right? That's self-effacing, self-centered martyrism. <laughs> right? Real biblical humility is to be honest about your weakness, but also honest about the gifts that God has given you, the strengths that God has given you. It's not boastful or prideful to say, I have this spiritual gift that God has given me to use to bring him glory. That's not boasting, right? That's just using the gifts God has given us and maximizing that gift. That's biblical humility. 
So ministry is operated for God's glory, not for our personal glory or anyone else's. Mark, can you come out with the mic? Thank you, brother. It's up in the front row. Pastor Dan, would you say this is too strong? I read this, and I felt it was too strong, but maybe I'm looking at it wrong. It says the biggest barrier to evangelism today is that we as Christians refuse our call and forsake our gratitude because Jesus saved us. I don't think that's too strong, right? Okay. That is a goal, uh, an obstacle. Say it again. Okay. The biggest barrier to evangelism today is that we as Christians refuse our call and forsake our gratitude. Hmm. Right. Is that? Sure. Okay. The block to going out and witnessing to effective ministry is when we refuse our call. That makes sense. I'm not going to do, God, what you call me. I'm not going to go where you send me. I'm not going to say what you want me to say. When we do that, we refuse our call. It's a block. Absolute block. And gratefulness is what spurs that on. We refuse to be grateful. That's a good quote. Where'd you get that? Somewhere? Somewhere, yeah. Nice. Yes. Our nation is almost like a house divided cannot stand. And if we can't get together, we're never going to be able to bring peace to the world. Yes. Through God. So where's that going to start? In the local congregation. Yes. Because the local congregation, as you know, is the hope of the world. Yep. Good stuff, everybody. Effective ministry, based on the gospel, built on the word. Effective ministry operated for God's glory. And four, it's performed in God's power, not in human ingenuity and technique. Right? In God's power. So by the power of signs and miracles, St. Paul, through the power of the Spirit. He knew to rely on the Holy Spirit for the power to do what he was doing. Sorry, did I miss? No, that's fine. I just wanted to say all I can think about, if you've done the book of Acts or you've studied Paul's life, all I can think about is, you know, the boat went this way and then he stayed or he walked this far. And when we're here in our little human minds, we can't do this. And all you have to, or, or thrown in prison or hmm. all of his life and we're like, Oh, I don't know if I can reach out to my neighbors. So that's what, through this whole lesson, I'm just seeing him on that missionary journey again. Um, and, Saying, you know, follow my example. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, God, what? I'm going there? Really? <laughs> God's so, got a plan. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Again, so uh, it's easy. Um, I know it is, like, for sure in church work, for church workers to go, Ooh, what's the newfangled thing in ministry, right? What's the what's the new uh, the newest hottest speaker saying about how we grow the church? And then you, you get all riled up about this new technique or this new program, right? And then you go to this workshop, and you know this is St. Paul is like, come on, people, <laughs> those things are tools. Those are tools that God gives to help you in your ministry. But don't forget what it's really all about. The power 
right, to share the gospel is in the Holy Spirit, not human ingenuity or technique. The power of self-help or positive mental attitude is good, but that's not the basis of ministry. You see, spiritual ministry needs to be done in spiritual power. There's a great Dan phrase for you. You see, you <laughs> did you like, duh, really, you had to write that down? But yeah, spiritual ministry needs to be done in spiritual power. And where do we get that spiritual power? From God's Holy Spirit. Is he chintzy and leading, giving this power? Do you have to pass a test? Do you have to be a certain strength or wisdom or knowledge or person? Of course not. He's not chintzy with that power. He gives it freely and generously to all. So in a growing church where the Spirit is at work, lives are being changed. Marriages are being saved. Of People with addictions are coming clean and free. People that have learned false teachings in the world are understanding truth and what life is really all about. That's when you know the Holy Spirit power is at work in a church, when you see these things happening. right? This, this is what I pray, that Faith Church will be that place where this kind of power of the Holy Spirit is unleashed through the people of God. That's you. Remember this thing? You. You've got the Spirit power to make a difference, to perform these amazing things. So in the growing church, lives are being changed. And listen, everybody look at me right now. You get to be a part of that. I mean, just think about this. God said to you, I'm going to enable you. I'm going to power you and gift you to change a person's eternal destiny. Just let that sink in. God has empowered you. You get to be a part of the greatest adventure imaginable of helping someone know Jesus Christ and spend all of eternity with you in heaven. Can you think of anything better, people? Really? This is the power that's your, and he's not chintzy. It's free. He wants to give it. Jesus even said this. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, we'll bear a lot of fruit. But apart from me, good luck. That's the revised Dan version. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. So when we stay connected to the vine, the Spirit empowers us to bear fruit. All right. Effective ministry, built on, uh, based on grace, built on the Word of God, operated for God's glory, performed with God's power, not human power, and five, planned according to God's purposes. Here's what St. Paul said. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it's written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. Right? Do you hear in these words that St. Paul understands that there is a purpose, there is a strategy to his ministry? Okay, I love this because we've been kind of talking. It's, it's about the Spirit's power. It's about how God uses you. But you know what else? It's also about strategy. It's not wrong to have a plan. It's not wrong to have a strategy to work to bring the gospel to someone. In fact, I think 
that's a good thing for you to do is to write down on your book somewhere someone in your neighborhood that you want to share Jesus with and then start to put a plan together to make that happen. Don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and go, man, I can't do anything about this. But make a plan. Say, I know that dude loves cherry pie. I'm going to bake a pie and bring it over tomorrow. Right? I know that sometimes he struggles mowing his lawn. I'm going to go over and help him mow his lawn. Oh, look at that big giant pile of mulch in his driveway. I'm going to go call John to come over and help do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Have a plan. It's not wrong to plan. Paul had a plan. And sometimes, as you heard here, God would break into that plan, wouldn't he? And lead him in another plan, another place, another strategy. But the point is, there was a plan. So Paul chose these key cities. He went to key cities. He, he's, he would go to like Corinth and to Philippi, which were commercial hubs. You know, uh, he would go there where people would come and go and come and go and come and go. And that's where he'd plant the gospel so that people would be would taste the gospel and take it out with them when they left. Is that a coincidence that all the cities Paul went to were these commercial hubs, these port cities? That's not a coincidence. Part of his strategy, right, to, to do his ministry. And we need to do the same with our people, with our place. So why did he go to Rome? Remember, he, Rome had churches. He just said he didn't want to go where there already was a church. So why Rome? Look what he said. But now that there's no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Do you see what Paul's plan was? Right, He was moving through Rome on the way to Spain because the gospel hadn't gotten there yet. And that's where he was heading. He had a plan. He had a strategy according to God's purpose to bring the gospel. You know, we do not know how St. Paul died. There's a lot of traditions, you know, but the Bible never tells us. The last we hear, he's in prison in Rome. And one of the traditions is that he's beheaded and killed there in Rome. There is another tradition where he was set free and actually went to Spain. In fact, you can go to Spain and you can see in Madrid the Church of St. Paul which claims its origins all the way back to the founding of St. Paul. Whether it's true or not, that's a big debate. Paul Meyer in the fullness of time, if you want to read, will tell you all about it, right? But the tradition is there, one of the traditions is he went to Spain. What's my point? He had a plan. It's not bad to have a plan. It's spiritual as well as strategic to plan, right? This is the strategy of our board of directors, right? We have a plan along with our spirituality, our prayer, we put plans together, strategies together to make it happen. That's not bad. That's good. All right, where are we? Based on grace, effective ministry is built on God's word. It's operated for God's glory. It's performed in God's power. It's planned according to God's purpose. And finally, number six, it's backed by God's people. Effective ministry is backed by God's people two ways. Number one, financially. St. Paul said, Now I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints. Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to themselves. For if the Gentiles have shared with Jews spiritual blessings, they owe to the Jews to share with them material blessings. So he says, a part of the strategy of your ministry 
is to rely on the support and the backing of each other. You know what? This is the way it works. There's a great story here at Faith. Two ladies went on a mission trip in our church. And when they were there, they saw that that moms were reusing the dirtiest, nastiest diapers that you can ever imagine. And the health, the disease. Some of the kids' babies didn't even have diapers because they couldn't afford them. So they said, we need to do something about this. So they came back, and one of the women had a, a son whose name was Jake. And they started a ministry called Jake's Diapers. And they started collecting diapers uh, and sending diapers overseas to the families that didn't have diapers. And where do you think they got the money for that? Out of their own pockets? No. They relied on other brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, and then in the community. And you know, Jake's Diapers has grown now. They have, a, they have their own warehouse. And it's not just diapers anymore. It's expanded into some other health, basic health needs for, for moms and kids and families. And how did it all happen? Because two people saw that they had a ministry to make a difference in the world. They relied on God's plan and God's strategy. And they relied on the backing of God's people, financial backing to make it happen. And look what God has done through it. These are two amazing ladies that started here in our church. Is that cool or what? Right? And that's just one of many examples. Another good one, I'll tell you. She's not here right now, so I won't have to embarrass her. I'm not going to say her name, but someone in our Romans class was moved a few lessons ago when we talked about how God empowers you. If you get an idea for ministry, you just need to take hold of it and go with it and run with it. And she said, okay, I'm going to do something. What can I do? I, I, love, I love this place called uh, Lutherans for Life and this place called Vita. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy 100 roses, and I'm just going to bring them to church on Mother's Day, and we're going to sell these roses, and I'm going to give all the proceeds to Lutherans for Life in Vita. We did that last Sunday here. She was worried that she would have a whole ton of roses left off. Of the 100 roses, do you know how many we sold? A 100. She just came in today with a smile from ear to ear and gave me a check for $365 that we now we're giving to Lutherans for life. You see, that's that's just one person, right, who and was backed by the finances of the people around. See, this is St. Paul says this. This is how it works when we do our ministry by the by the support and encouragement of one another financially, God does great things. He's coming. I got called from a friend Saturday from Waukesha, and she said, Marge, the flowers are at church. You can take care of them. And I said, uh, you're talking to the wrong person. I didn't know it was Marie at that point. Uh -huh. You're talking to the wrong person. I have nothing to do with it. There's other Marges in our congregation. <laughs> you have to talk to one of them. Ten minutes later, I get a call from Maria, at a, from, who is a Catholic, a friend of ours in Waukesha. They were doing the same thing at their church. It was it was not Lutherans for Life. It was pro-abortion. Oh, really? For abortion? And to pro-life. Pro-life. Oh, <laughs> you scared me for a minute. Yeah, no, but it, to to think of two churches. I mean, we were just so excited when we realized that two churches, different denominations, and everything had the same idea. And that's just two that you know of. 
Lord knows what he was up to on Mother's Day to help us support the cause of life. God's power is at work through the church, the local congregation. You might have heard this before, is the hope of the world. Right? So how can we have an effective, oh, is it 20 after? <gasps> I'm sorry, one more. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny, but I listened to a lady, and she's not Lutheran, she's Baptist, but she has her cooking channel on um, YouTube. It's called The Hillbilly Kitchen. Through her little channel, cooking channel, in every cooking channel, she always takes a verse from the Bible and talks about that verse from the Bible. She's converted over 75 million of her followers oh my throughout God. the whole world. Um, and, and people have, have come to her. And she has another mission that she does when people are in need of, of she found out she sells ovens. She lives in Tennessee. She's just a little housewife in Tennessee, and she and her husband started this channel. And, Do you know how excited I'm getting right now? This is so cool. Yeah. You know, you might be thinking to yourself, well, gosh, I, I can't do that. Well, maybe you're not a hillbilly cook. But there's something. There's something. You have a ministry. You are a minister. You just got to figure it out and then do it. God's going to empower you to make it happen. All right. So we so financially, we support. And then he also says, we can rely on each other, back each other prayerfully. Please don't ever underestimate the power of prayer. St. Paul said, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle. How? By praying to God. Um, um, it, you can all be prayer partners. Again, he said, pray that I might be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Pray that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. Pray that by God's will I may come to you in joy and together be with you and refreshed. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. See, the power of prayer and the encouragement and the strength that it gets. I'm just going to say, I covet your prayers. And I don't mean to say that lightly. I literally know that I could not ever do what I do if you weren't praying for me. If you weren't praying for protection from the evil one, if you weren't praying for strength and energy, if you weren't praying for me to, um, to believe and have faith and overcome my doubts, I could not do what I do. I covet your prayers. And so when you pray for me, I hope you know that whenever I do something for the Lord, that you're a part of that. Right? I covet your prayers. Our church, we covet your prayers for Faith Church that we might do the right thing, do God's will. Your prayers matter, right? Do you know this? Your prayers make a difference. Prayer is not small or trivial. St. Paul says it is so important in an effective ministry. So remember, this section of Romans is for you, for your ministry. So think about the six things. Base your ministry on God's grace. Build your ministry on God's word. Re do it all for God's glory. Rely on God's power and strength. Make plans according to God's purpose for you. And expect God's people to support you on the way. This should be our marching orders. This, these six things should be just emblazoned in our mind and our hearts. Because this is how God will use us to have an effective ministry. Jane? Um, several years ago, there was a family in our church that had children in Sunday school, but then the family stopped coming. And uh, at that time, Kathleen was um, working 
for the church. And she kept calling that family and they came back. And I think there's a lot of people who haven't returned since COVID that maybe um, people know those people and Make they, a phone can, call. they can call them and tell them that we really miss them and we would like them back. Good so call. that's a that's a ministry. ministry. It is. Yeah. And God will bless that, empower that. So next week, our last week, boo-hoo, we will learn about the importance of each other and about affirming the ministry of others. What a great, great way to end our class, right? All right, well, God bless all of you ministers. Uh, don't forget to turn your ballots in. Uh, if somebody's want to collect them and get into me, I don't care how. There's some blanks up here, too, if you want to vote twice. I mean, if you need a vote. God's blessings, all.